I feel like when we pray for Angela from now on, um, and she, she, she won't mind sharing this, she prayed for her before, but the, the torment that she hears and sees in, in, her, in, her, in her mind and the spiritual stuff that she has gotten better and better, but it's still there. And I, I just felt like today during worship, we're supposed to start praying for her with the authority of a mom and dad and a brother and sister. All right. So just like we're not supposed to be saying, Jesus, will you? We're just saying in Jesus name, stop. Okay, so and if you would be willing to have Angela text you and say, hey, I'm struggling. Will you pray for me? Then after church, give her your number. Okay, because what we do is we have strategies to defeat darkness. It's not just like getting prayer, but there's things we can do. So as soon as you know, it's going to start text some people and have ask them to pray for you and tell them right then and there. I I thought I think another thing is I have a. Have a list of declarations you'll make over yourself that are exactly opposite of what you're experiencing. So when you're, maybe this is it instead of praying for you. So you're going to text people and let the body of Christ help bring you freedom and heal you. But you're also going to declare the opposite thing. So whenever the scripture says, when you are weak, we're not supposed to say, oh my God, I'm weak. We're supposed to say, I am strong. So where we're stupid, we can say, I am wise. Where we're losing, we can say, I am winning. So we start declaring the opposite, not because of what we can do, but because of what he's done. And it sets us in a different place in our mind. And it actually sets us in a different perspective so we can see the same problem and the same issue uh, from a totally different way and see the outcome being differently. So for you, it might be, I easily hear the Holy Spirit. I easily, I know, I'm confident, I know the voice of God. And just have a list of those and just start saying them. And they will feel, what we've learned about declarations, they feel ridiculous when you, when you are weak and you're experiencing a weak moment and you start saying, I am strong. It's like your voice is like, you're an idiot. That's such a lie. That's not true. But we have to, we have to endure that contradiction. That's a contradiction. But our mind and our old man is crying out from the grave that we, he's done and buried. We're a new creation. We have a new man, a new woman, a new, a new person. That's our old man saying, hey, don't listen. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to your new man. Trust me, Angela. I know you. Trust me. I know this is horrible. It's just going to get worse. There's no hope. And when you hear that, as you start declaring the voice of God, and you're not trying to shout down that other voice. You're just trying to really build a new, a new pattern, a neural pathways we talked about, I think, in October, November, trying to create a new pattern. So those are maybe some two strategies that you automatically go to. There might, I think there's a third, but I don't know what it is. And maybe somebody today after church can tell her a third strategy. Because a lot of times we forget that there, it is spiritual, but in the spiritual, there's always something tangible that we can do. As we do something tangible like text somebody for help or like make declarations, that tangible, simple thing actually manifests a big spiritual payoff. And when we do spiritual things, it can manifest a big tangible payoff. The, the scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God. And we would think if you sought the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the government of God, that, that peace would be given to you or more spiritual wisdom or gifts. But really in that scripture, it says, seek first the kingdom and clothes and housing and food will be given to you. Seek the intangible and tangible things will be given to you. So when you're, so, so, but when there's spiritual things going on, we often forget, we cry out to God, but we forget that he's actually telling us then to, to respond in a different way. And the biggest, the number one thing we can learn or we, we need to know about spiritual warfare is we respond in the opposite spirit. Somebody comes in the door, they're full of fear. We usually engage in their fear. 
And the opposite spirit would be to have faith. And that spirit of fear will push against that faith and want to make it cow down. But the more we rise up, the, 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 that's, that's true spiritual warfare. If somebody comes in angry, we don't respond in anger or anything like that. It's spiritual warfare. So, so we might pray for you, we might not. But there's people here that would be glad to pray for you and speak to you and release some good things into you. Especially if you've struggled with anything emotional like that and... Um, it's not, it's not, I don't want to, say, I don't want to limit it to it's emotional. It's a spiritual battle that Angela has been in all of her life. And when she got saved, it kind of like increased. And she knows there's a voice of goodness and light. There's no, she knows there's a voice of her father. But there's a stepdad over here that thinks he has a right over her mind. You know what I mean? There's, 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 Satan, there's the great deceiver over here that thinks that he has some right. And it's a lie that he has that right. But we're so long into under that stepfather's... Uh, tutelage or mentoring that it's hard to even hear our father's voice and we have such confidence that we can hear this other voice more confident than we can hear our father's voice and so those declarations and that imagery could, should should help us in like where we want to go in 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 life in that freedom area all right so i'm gonna be in colossians chapter two today that's the only scripture i'm going to to utilize colossians chapter two and i'm going to read that in a little bit a little bit And we're in a new series called The Cross Changes Everything. At the point of the cross, everything absolutely changed. I want to start with this illustration, a little story. One day a teacher was teaching her young Sunday school class the story of Jesus visiting Mary and Martha. She carefully explained how Mary and Martha had hurried to clean the house and cook a special meal. Then she paused, the teacher paused and asked, What would you do if Jesus was going to visit your house today? One little girl quick, quickly raised her hand and said, I'd put the Bible on the table. All right? And <clears throat> a lot of times what we think is, you know, is that we need to do something when Jesus is here, but we can always assume that Jesus is here. Where two or more are gathered, he's there. But where you are, he's there. Even if there's not two gathered, he's there. But then it increases when two or more are gathered, or then three or four or five. And the more and we're in agreement, the more... Uh, the more powerful we can experience his presence. But I want to ask a similar question. What would you do if the cross made you powerful? So instead, what would you do when Jesus come? I'd put, the, I'd put a Bible on the table. What would you do if the cross made you powerful? Now, we struggle with being powerful people. There's a, there's a false humility that's in the church that says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just a worm. I'm nothing. It wasn't me. I can't do that. It's all Jesus. It's not all Jesus. I want, to, I want to let you know that. He partners with you. He gives you something. You take a part of it. But he is not, Jesus is not in and of himself being powerful through you. You are partnering with him to be powerful with him living through you. And we, we don't want to minimize our part in it. Otherwise, we start blaming God. God's not setting me free. God's keeping me in a bad circumstance instead of I am powerful. And so I want to start with that statement is I am powerful. The cross does make us powerful. No ands, ifs, or buts. The cross makes us powerful. The cross, how it makes us powerful is the cross wrecks everything it touches it wrecks everything it touches and it's got to, our lives and our thoughts and our identities have to be wrecked before it can be fixed before it can be restored with god there's always destruction before restoration there's always hopelessness before hopefulness there's always death 
before life. Always, always, always. And what happens is, is we don't want to be hopeless. We don't want to confess that we feel dead. We don't want to confess that we feel lonely. We don't want to say we have issues with this, but we have to be clear with the Father. He already knows it, but he wants us to hear it, to be made aware so that we can walk into repentance, walk into revelation, walk into restoration. And yesterday at Living Room Worship, this young man under 30, his name's Isaac, he's a prophetic guy, and and he basically talked about that without... um, before healing, there's got to be some brokenness. Nobody needs to be healed if they're not broken, right? No, nobody needs to be set free from demonic oppression if there's not demonic oppression. So we have to we 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 start learning that. that but the cross is powerful, and it's not it's not Jesus making you go put your hand on somebody and pray for them to be healed or set free. It's you in your own in your own will deciding i want to obey what my father says is to lay hands on people and pray for them that they will be healed that's my part he heals them but he uses me but he doesn't use me like i'm a puppet he uses me by my choice that's part of my power now the cross purchased all of the big all of the big words we know of justification sanctification redemption all of those things the bible i'm not going to talk about what the cross does with all those but all those big words that the cross does for us it does for us it's doing something in us and as it's doing something in us it's meant to manifest itself physically outside of us there's a good work taking place that takes place from the moment i receive jesus but it takes place and it, and, and it changes my mind. It changes my emotions. It changes how I read my history, how I think about my past. It changes how I think about my future. It changes how I think about my pain. It changes how I think about everything. It begins to change. But if we're not willing to walk in this, this identity of that we're powerful, then we kind of we get saved, we get settled, and we start deteriorating. Even though we still believe that we have eternal life, we have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of boring or of hell on earth because we don't realize we have a power to walk into, a power to be. The cross purchases salvation and adoption and eternal life for us, but it never stops at eternal life. I want you to hear that. You're not adopted into the family through the cross to then be left as an orphan. There's, if there's, and so many of us worry that we're going to be kicked out of the family of God if we sin or if we don't get something right. We actually were in the family and we're meant to blossom in that family. We're meant to blossom because we have a good father, a good God. He's a good, good father. In fact, the goodness that you may have experienced of being a dad or the goodness you've experienced with your dad or father figure is like hate compared to how much God loves us. Now... The cross is something that we carry, that we access. It's not just a one-done deal, okay? It is done. It's, it's the pivotal, the hinge on everything because the cross changes everything. But then we have to keep walking in the cross. All right, and I'm going to start in, in, Second Corinth, I mean, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Colossians 2, 6. And I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. It makes it a little bit longer but then I'm going to use a couple of these, the scripture in some of this. It says, in the same way you receive Jesus, our Lord and Messiah by faith, continue your journey of faith, progressing further into your union with him. You should underline further into your union with him. 
There's a deepening relationship that the cross brings. There's a deepening relationship that wasn't available through sacrifice or through law. We should rightly, strongly pursue that deepening, progressive relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Verse 7. Your spiritual roots go deeply into his life as you are continually infused with strength, encouraged in every way. For you are established in the faith you have absorbed and enriched by your devotion to him. I love those words, you're infused, you're encouraged, you're established, you've absorbed, you've been enriched by him, by him. Verse 8, beware that no one distracts you or intimidates you in their attempt to lead you away from Christ's fullness by by pretending to be full of wisdom when they're full of endless arguments of human logic. For they operate with humanistic and clouded judgments based on the mindset of this world system and the not the anointed truths of the anointed one. Anytime we operate by the mindset of this world, we are on our way to losing. And we can, we, can, we can read scripture and we can read it with the mindset of this world, but we will always be off. We have a new mind. We have a mind, the mind of Christ. We look at our marriages, at our relationships. Again, we even look at our sin in a completely different way than we ever looked at it before. We look at our failures. We look at our past. We look at things that have been done to us and things we've done to others. With a completely different mindset because we are new creations. That includes a new mind. Verse 9. For he, for he, Jesus, is the complete fullness of deity living in human form. And our own completeness is now found in him. We are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. He is the head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. Through our union with him, we have experienced circumcision of heart... All of the guilt and power of sin has been cut away and is now extinct because of Christ, the anointed one, has accomplished for us. If that is true, if all the guilt and power of sin has been cut away and is now extinct because of the cross, why do we still struggle so much with the power of shame? It's the voice, it's the voice of the enemy and it's the voice of your dead man that's not quite buried. He's dead and buried. But a lot of us like to resurrect him and believe him. And the more we listen to that voice, the more we give him power and sway over the living person that we're supposed to be. In verse 12, for we've been buried with him unto his death. Our baptism unto death also means when we were raised with him. And when we believed in God's resurrection power, the power that raised him from death's realm. We not only believe in his power, we participate in the same power that resurrected Jesus, the same power that ascends uh, uh, Jesus to the, to the throne of heaven, the same power that sends the Holy Spirit, the same power that saves us and heals us is the same power that we have living in us and through us. How many of you want that power? You already have it. That's our thing. The thing, the, the thing is, how do we get our mind to line up with that and our actions to come through that? This realm of death describes our former state. For we were held in sin's grasp, but now we've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return, never to return. For we are forever alive and forgiven of all of our sins. We are never to return, ever to return. 
I don't think it's possible for us to return. Once you're a kid, once you're adopted into the family, there's no return policy. We are his. We don't have to act like his, and we're still his. We can act opposite of him, and we're still his. We can, we, so there's this, there's this identity that comes with the cross that it's signed, sealed, and delivered that I am his child. I am his favored. I am his anointed one. I have the power of the cross. I have the power that Jesus walked with in my life. He can't, verse 14, he canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. So when the enemy talks to you about your past... He's bringing up something that is no longer legally valid. What if somebody came to you, you'd want a lawsuit. You'd, you'd want a million dollars. You'd want that. Somebody keeps saying, well, you need to give that back and more. And they keep waving this thing in front of your face, but they don't have the cancellation stamp on it. Would you believe them and give a million dollars back? Would you pay them even more? You wouldn't. You'd go, no, it's already canceled. And that's, that should be our conversation when the enemy wants to, wants to pipe up is it's been canceled. Nothing can be held against me. Even the sin that I sin after that, the Lord chooses every day not to remember that sin and never to bring it back up. Never to mention it and to never talk to me or treat me like I was a sinner. That's why we don't use the word, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm not. I'm just saved by grace. I don't identify myself first with my old life. I'm saved by grace. And and, and we need to get that really strong in us. In verse 15, I want you to see this visually. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness. So a public spectacle is Jesus took all the demons, all the legions, all the armies... Satan himself, and he lined them up. He made a spectacle of all of them when he went to the cross and when he was resurrected. And he stripped away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and all their right to accuse you that you're not his, that you're not worth it, that you're unlovable. And he lined them up and he put, I think, on them something that said canceled or powerless. And by the power of the cross, it says, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. So when we have that imagery of us, whenever we're tormented, whenever we're, whenever we're in doubt, whenever we feel powerless, when we remember the cross, it's not Jesus is coming back to save me and then all the demons will be relinquished of their power. He, at the cross, he took all of their power away and the only person who can give Satan any power or his demons any power in your life is you. God has taken all that power away. Only you with what you agree with, with the conversation you have and how you live, you begin to agree with that. You're agreeing with a bankrupt, already stripped, already powerless army. And you're agreeing to terms all the time with this army that has no power to harm you, has no power to do anything to you, has no right to do anything. So as we get our minds straight, if that becomes really important to get our minds straight on these images and these pictures and these stories that we have in Scripture. So 
You are powerful. And you need to know that you're powerful. In fact, I wish that we would quit saying, I wish I was powerful or God make me powerful or God make me courageous. And we would just start making the statement, I am powerful. And when we feel like a coward, we say, I am courageous. And when we feel like there's no answer for tomorrow, we say, I have all the answers I need. There's a solution for every problem I face today. There's a solution. And I will hear that solution, and I'll have the courage to walk it out. I'll have the power to see it through, and I'll persevere because I've already won this fight. It's already over. And we operate from that place of confidence, not in what I can do, but in what the cross has done. And when I begin to operate that way, then it is what I can do based on the cross with Jesus living through me. So the cross makes us powerful. It means that it offers us power. But you don't have to accept that power. You can keep in the same language of I'm powerless. I'm a sinner saved by grace. There's nothing I can do. It's all in God's hands. It's all true. There's nothing you can do, and it's all in God's hands. But it's all a lie also when it's based on a story that I'm powerless. All right? It is in God's hands. But then he says, here, I put it in your hands. Your future is dependent way more on what you're thinking than on what God's thinking. Your thinking lines up with his thinking, and you become more and more powerful. So to recognize and just stick it down that I am powerful— Powerful means that I have agency. I have the ability to do what needs to be done in the way I see fit to have it done. That nobody can stop me from walking in this way that God has told me to walk in. Not, not, not what anybody says about my future, not what anybody called me in my past, not anything I've done or haven't done. Don't you love stories when you have somebody that's been like a horrible criminal and they've been in jail for 10 years, they get radically saved in jail and they, they come out and in five or 10 years, they've got you guys restored everything to them. Don't you love those stories? That's all of our stories. Even if we've never been to jail, even if we've never been addicted, it's like I used to be bitter, I used to be afraid, I used to be depressed, I used to be prideful, I used to be judgmental, I used to be lazy. And we have this story that we get redeemed out of those stories, and we have agency, and we operate as co-laborers or co-partners with Christ. To have agency, to be powerful, means I can be different tomorrow than I am today. In fact, I don't think we should say I can be. I think we make the choice already, I am powerful. I will be different tomorrow. I will be more of who God created me to be, and I will do more of what he designed me to do. I will tomorrow, and I'll start today with what I'm believing and what I'm saying. Now, why do you need to know that you're powerful? Again, most of us don't like to like, like say that we're powerful because with power comes responsibility, right? See, if you have zero money, then if somebody says, hey, I need some help, you can't help them. So you're powerless to help them. But if you have a lot of money and somebody says, I need to help you, then you're powerful. You have to decide, do I help them or not? There's a responsibility put upon you to have power. When you hire or fire people, there's a, there, you have power. 
when you give raises or a, a police officer stopping somebody, you have power. With power becomes, comes responsibility, comes maturity, demand on maturity. Most of us don't like to be powerful when it comes to spiritual things because it feels awkward to say when somebody says, I'm full of shame I did this, to lay our hands on them and say, in Jesus' name, I forgive you of all your sins. Be set free. That's all right to do that. We're not waiting for Jesus to tell somebody that. He's already told the whole world that. And he's telling the whole world intentionally through me and you. And when somebody says, I'm, I'm oppressed with the demonic, we're not, we're not at a distance going, gosh, I hope God does something about that. If, if whatever God's will be done, it'll be done. He says, I, I make you powerful, walk in your agency, walk in your power, and say, in Jesus' name, I cast out all the demons out of you that you will be set free. You will be healed. It's not like God, oh, please heal them, help them if it's your will. It's like he's already set into place that the cross changes everything. It makes us power, powerful because it strips the power of this world from the enemy and it gives the power to us. There is still a power struggle, though. The power struggle is less out there with the demonic forces and more in here with how we think. More in here how we think about ourselves first. Now, we have to choose. I mean, it's important that we know we're powerful, but we have to say I'm powerful. We have to choose it. We have to believe it. We have to walk in it. We walk in it in our own life, and we walk it in the life of other people. Look at what it says here in what I just read in Colossians 2.14. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and held permanently there as a public display of cancellation. You need to know that you're powerful. In fact, in John 17.22... You know, we talk about, well, if I'm powerful, then, that's just, then, then God's not going to be powerful. Isn't that ridiculous? That's a ridiculous statement. It's like God has limited so much in his power that if I, get, if I walk in power, that I will overshadow his power. All right? It, it, it doesn't work that way. In John 17, 22, it says Jesus is praying and Jesus says, I, God, Father, I've given them the glory that you gave me. We talk about, well, I don't want to steal God's glory. You can't steal God's glory. You can't steal it. How can you steal something that they gave to you? It's like Victoria wanting to use our car. She borrows our car, and it's like she, she's borrowing our car. I let her, but she's still going to be in trouble because she stole my glory. She stole my car. I let her. He, give, he says, I give it to you. In fact, most of us are, oh, no, 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 I'm not worth it. I don't want your glory. I don't want your power. No, I'm not worth it. I'm not good enough. But you're determining if you're good enough instead of allowing him to determine if you're good enough. And that was settled at the cross. It's determined you're good enough. You're of highest value in the kingdom. You, individually. Not us as 7 billion people on this, fan, on this planet or us as 20 people in this room. But me, when I'm praying, I'm praying from a position as I am inherently valuable. There is no price so great that God didn't think I was worth it for just for me. And when I live out of that, I live out of that power. And God's given us this glory. Think about what glory means. It means the manifestation of God is within me. The honor of God is within me. Isn't that awesome? The very divine nature of God is within me. Jesus gives that to us at the cross because of the cross. 
It's not just, I was living a miserable life, I was a miserable person, I got some information, I decided that I wanted to have eternal life, I wanted to go to heaven. There's all of this abundance in all the years from being saved till my leave this body that's meant to be my inheritance. When do you get an inheritance? You get an inheritance when the person with inheritance passes away. The person with inheritance already passed away 2,000 years ago. Most of us are waiting to get an inheritance when I pass away. Like when I die, I'll go to heaven and get my inheritance. But I have a right to my inheritance now. How powerful does that make me that the Holy Spirit left gifts, that Jesus leaves gifts, and that God the Father leaves gifts for me? And he makes me powerful and he gives me agency for right now. I love that. Powerful people are creative, energetic, They're overcoming, dominating problems in the world. And they're not just doing it for themselves. Once they start doing it for themselves, they start helping release other people from things that are ruining their lives. Now, sin comes in and ruins things, but it can't ruin anything if we keep walking regardless of the sin that so easily seems to beset us. We just keep walking. There is no shame in sin. We're so powerful that we just say, God says, God says there's no shame in who I am. God says he sees me as a perfect being. God says I'm 100% worthy. So as I walk, I don't sit there and wait until all my life is right. I'm all together or anything like that. I walk in that confidence that he is purifying and cleansing and cleaning me. Now, when most Christians hear, if I said, how many of you want more power, don't answer. How many of you want more influence? Almost nobody raises their hand because they think that wanting power is a bad thing. But if you've ever, if you've ever told yourself, I wish I could help that young couple in their marriage, you're saying, I wish I had more power. If you've ever said, wow, I wish I could feed the hungry. Wow, I wish I could give to this person over here. You said, I wish I had more power. I wish I had more influence. It is selfish for us to say, I am powerless and I don't want any power. It's selfish for us to say, I'm powerless and I don't want any power. We want power. Who else on this earth should be trusted with God's power? We're conduits of him and we can have influence and we can have power and, and we don't want to sit in these, these, these cheap seats of spectating going, oh, I wish somebody would do something about that poor person over there. Or I wish somebody would do something about healing over there. I wish we had more of that over there. We get up out of our seats. We walk down there and we have the agency and the power to go down there and help them. So what do we do to walk in this power? I'm going to give you three things. First, we've got to experience the Holy Spirit. All the disciples betrayed Jesus. We think it's just Peter. Every disciple. We think it's just Peter and Judas. It says all of them fleed when Jesus was arrested. So what happens between this cowardly crew of people, one betraying them, one cursing his name, within less than 24 hours this all happens after Jesus is arrested, um, what changes them? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is tangible, knowable, relatable, experienceable. The Holy Spirit is not something that we, that we just throw in with God or just in with Jesus or just with, in with salvation. The Holy Spirit is an important, important relationship that makes most of us feel very uncomfortable. 
Because we're good with God as creator and God as father. We're good as Jesus as teacher. But we're really often bothered by Holy Spirit as counselor and guide and, and, and uh, life coach. That he's there speaking to us. He's convicting us. We're very uncomfortable with that. Because that, that, the, 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 but that relationship with the Holy Spirit is so important for us to walk in power, in, in, our, in our power. The power that you, by the way, were created for. You were created to contain and to release the power of God. And we do that through the, the move of the Holy Spirit in our life over and over and over again. So we have the story of all 12 disciples betray Jesus. Judas hangs himself. He takes his power into his own hand. He has the agency to kill himself. All right. The other 11 all come back. And with a very short time, they, they rule Jerusalem through their, the, the, the church, the new church, even though everybody else sees them as a cult that needs to be punished and hunted down and imprisoned and possibly even the male members of the leadership be put to death. And then over just 150, 100, 150 years, it's spread to all the known world. And before Paul dies, it's taken to Rome to the very uh, highest government of the world at that time. That's what the Holy Spirit does with the power that's given to us. Second, and I, I hope I can explain this uh, uh, well enough, but we've kind of been talking a little bit about it. But we've got to start telling ourselves the true story. We tell ourselves, like the, like the ten spies did going into the promised land, I'm of no significance. In fact, the enemy sees me as a grasshopper, so therefore I will see me as a grasshopper. That sounds like true, is right? This is what I experienced. This is what I saw. This is what I think. This is now the true story. It's not the true story. The true story comes from the Holy Spirit. The true story comes from God being a good God. The, good, the, the true story comes from everything is going to turn out to glorify God if I will only believe. So to be a powerful person, we have to walk in the kingdom story. We have to walk in the love story. We don't walk in the it's end of time stories. We don't walk in the darkness is really prevailing story. We don't walk in I have a past that's horrible story. We don't walk in that I don't know what my future is story. We walk in a story, a kingdom story where God rules, where God, where there are giants, by the way, in this story, but there's also a huge provision Wherever there's huge grapes and huge produce and huge fruit and huge prosperity in the kingdom, there's also big giants. But when we focus on the giants, we will then tell us a story that we can't defeat that giant. And many of us stand outside of our promised life and go, oh, I wish God would do something about those giants because those grapes. I've been prophesied that I'm going to have huge, huge property. I've been prophesied I'm going to have huge abundance. I've been prophesied that I'm going to help people. But... Gosh, I wish there weren't any giants in that land. I wonder what God's going to do. So we're blaming God, and all of our prayer is based on, God, you're not doing something. And God is saying, step into your promised land. This is the awesome thing. Every time you get killed by a giant, and you will get defeated by a giant, it will feel like it, but there's no defeat in the kingdom. In this story, there's no defeat. I'm already a conqueror. It's like playing in the NFL if I'm in the Super Bowl, is that... Even if I throw a dozen interceptions and I do everything wrong, but it's already been predetermined that I win the game, then I go out there and I just play the game and I play it joyfully. I step up to my giants joyfully. David told himself a different story. We kind of mentioned this a little bit a few weeks ago is that 
His brother told a story that, you little rat, you shouldn't even be here. You have all wrong motive. The soldiers told them a story of Goliath being out there terrorizing everybody for 40 days. There's nothing we can do. Saul told them a story, said, you can't go out there and fight that. You're just a kid. Kind of convinces Saul, and Saul then tells them a story, hey, wear my armor. But David sticks to this really simple, stupid story of God helped me defeat the lion and the bear. God will help me defeat this giant. So we walk up there. We walk up there, and we've got to tell ourselves that story, not generally I'm more than a conqueror, but whatever you feel defeated, your declaration has to be, when it comes to my weight, I'm more than a conqueror. When it comes to my health, I'm more than a conqueror. If I was more than a conqueror in my finances, what would it look like if I was living that out? Tell a different story. The disciples tell a different story. Their story was, we're so excited to be with Jesus. We get to hang out with this guy who's like super popular. He's on TV all the time. He's got the highest rated podcast. He's always being interviewed by the news, stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, and and all of a sudden, the whole story flips, right? It's like, oh my gosh, he's been arrested. We should all be embarrassed. We're all afraid. We're afraid for our lives. We run. The last three years has been a waste of our time. What do we do? And then the story flips again. And then this story becomes a true story. This story of Jesus performing all the miracles and telling them what to do was only the beginning of the story. Jesus said the story's got to change where you're dependent upon the Holy Spirit, not upon me. That you heal people. That you cast out demons. That you spread the gospel. That you step into a space and say the kingdom of God is here. Not because Jesus showed up, but because you showed up. In your power as a son and daughter, understanding that Jesus is there with you. The third thing is we must stay focused. It takes focus to walk in the kingdom. So often we're distracted by all the shiny things around us. The daily practices of Bible study, the daily practices of of conversation with other Christians, the daily practice... What would happen if we, I've said this before, if we watched or if we studied the Bible stories as much as we study Netflix stories? If we looked for the news of the kingdom of our life through Scripture more than we listened to the news. Once we start having these conversations with God and being in His presence, then we'll start again being who we were created to be, doing and walking in the power that we were designed to walk in. Distraction is one of the biggest reasons why we are pitiful often instead of powerful. And pitiful, we feel pitiful. I'm shocked at the Christians that feel pitiful about things, about their life, about their faith. And Colossians 2.8, we kind of just skimmed over this, but, but this is, this is a, a, a scripture about distraction, about focus. Beware that no one distracts you or intimidates you in their attempt to lead you away from Christ's fullness by pretending to be full of wisdom when they're filled with endless arguments of human logic. For they operate with humanistic and clouded judgments based on the mindset of this world system and not the anointed truths of the anointed one. As Christians, what we're saying is, I believe God's story over the coronavirus story. I believe God's story over the disunity story. I believe God's story over the race or transgender or liberal versus conservative story. I believe God's story. But what is that story? And then we let, sometimes we let a religious figure tell us what that story is, and it seems to just bring more conflict. 
But there's a story that the Lord wants you to look at things for who you are and where you're at, and he wants you to hear his story for you. What's your part in these things? That doesn't mean we, we don't engage in them. It doesn't mean that we're not aware of them. Again, so do you think that the news you watch, the podcast you listen to, the, the, the news you get, do you think that's distracting you? Do you think they're at all are filled with endless arguments of human logic? Do you, think do you think that they're operating from a foundation of humanistic mindset of this world? Or do you think they're coming from the kingdom of God? So you got, and I'm not saying don't watch the news. I'm not saying don't, don't watch Netflix. We love Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and Plex. We love all of that. We love to, we love to be entertained. But we can be so distracted. Now, we know that the rich young ruler was distracted by wealth and position. Martha was distracted by good works. The Pharisees were distracted by religion and good works and rules and regulations. The ten spies are a brilliant example, if you want to go back and read that, of being distracted by what they saw. And then the, the, all, the entire army of Israel was distracted by their experience that they had with this giant cursing them every day and calling them out every day. And so we, we have to tell ourselves these new stories. We have to tell ourselves that um, we are powerful, and we have to walk in that and not be distracted from our power. Uh, from our power. So I'm going to end here. And this, this is the thing, is when God speaks to you, do you think he's speaking to you as a pitiful child with nothing going on with you, with nothing to offer? Or do you think he's talking to you as a powerful person? So Jesus, God, both of them, is telling powerful people, keep my commandments. He's not telling weak people that have an inability to keep his commandments. He's saying to powerful people, keep my commandments. He's telling powerful people, love your enemies. He's telling powerful people, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons, and declare my kingdom's come. That, he's talking to powerful people, but we hear it as weak people. We hear it as, I have to do this. It's so hard. What if we reshifted the story and said, this is what I was created to do. This is who I am. I'm, I'm in Genesis 12. I'm blessed to be a blessing. I'm going to increase this blessing. I'm going to increase this power. I'm going to increase this influence. And I'm going to bless the world that I'm around because of this. Because the cross changes everything. The cross changes everything. It changed everything. And wherever you're in lack, wherever you're in turmoil, wherever you're in pain, wherever you're confused, if we can find yourself at the cross, what did Jesus do? He made me powerful. Why am I not powerful right here? All right, just go ahead and stand and we'll bless y'all before we go. And, and if you can't give Angela your, your phone number, if she can text you and you'll pray, you'll take five minutes and pray for her at any given time. And if you have something to pray over her, do that. Just release her from that and speak to her. So Father, we thank you that we're powerful. We just say we're powerful. I'm a powerful person. I'm a powerful man. I'm a powerful woman. I'm a powerful 13-year-old. I'm a powerful 57-year-old. I'm a powerful blank I am powerful. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not weak. I'm not frail. I'm not, I, I'm not without uh, solutions. I'm not without wisdom. I'm never without wisdom. I'm never without your word. I'm never without your presence. I'm a, I'm a powerful individual. The cross has purchased all that for me. 
Help me live that out. Help me see that and live that out. In the areas that I'm strong, help me become more spiritually powerful in those areas. So, so my business and my words and my actions and even my friendship, the powerful things result from me understanding that wherever I'm at. Wherever I'm at. And God, help me speak to you as a powerful person. Help me hear you when you're describing me going, yeah, that is me. I, I, I can do that. I will do that. I want to do that. It will be a joy to walk in that power Help us to know that each time we see an individual and struggling, we, I wish I had a word for them, that we would correct that and say, I will get a word for them. Each time somebody doesn't have any money that, and we want to give them something, we feel that we, will dis, that we will make decisions in our life that maybe not in a month or two or three, but in a year or two or three years, that we will have greater financial provision to give to people, that we'll have greater influence, that we'll live our life in such a way to glorify you By being powerful, Father God. And wherever we're weak, we say, I am strong. Wherever we're poor, we say, I am rich. Wherever we're tired, we say, I am energetic in Jesus' name. We know it's true because you said it's true. You said it of us. And we declare that what you say of us is more important, is more true than what anybody in our life has said of us. And anything that we would say of ourselves, that we just make a decision today that what you say of us is more important and more true than what we say of ourselves. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless y'all. Where is death's sting? Where grave thy victory?